Holy Spirit, we will thank you. We will thank you that you're here right now in fulfillment of Jesus' promise that wherever we are, he would be with us always to the end of the age. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you will teach us this morning. You will teach our hearts. Yes. To know how to believe you for more and ask you for more. Thank you, Lord. Amen. How are we all doing then? We happy? Yes. You don't sound too happy. Is it the, is it the English summer? You know, it's kind of like we can get, we can do this British thing, can't we? We can get ourselves down about anything. You know, it's too hot. Well, there's your answer. It's rain for weeks. You know, we should be happy, shouldn't we? Yeah. Whatever's going on in our life. Because, you know, this is, this is te- temporary. Yeah. You know, the worst that can happen to us today is that we die and go to heaven. Yeah. And we've got eternal life. So, so what? You know, we're saved. Jesus died so that we could have relationship with him. And, you know, he, he blessed us. He, he, he gave us the Holy Spirit. He said he'd be with us always to the end of the age. He gave us his great and precious promises so that we, we are always in this place where uh, we have everything we need for life and for godliness. Yeah. And, you know, this, this word that Esther gave weeks ago about upping our game, it's really stirring in, in my faith. It's really stirring. And, and you know, going to Ebel uh, and Helen, our friends from Holland, we went through to a conference with them in Harrogate at the start of uh, June, I think it was. And uh, th- there's this gap, isn't there, where we, where, where we need to be expecting faith. We need to be expecting victory. We need to be expecting to see the things that, that God has given us mm-hmm. and that he said we can have. And, and we, we are settling for so little. Yes. It's almost like we, we forgot how to walk in faith, how to trust yeah. Jesus. Yes. And, and we, so we need to up our game. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've been doing this summer faith school. So if you, if you haven't been to any of the, the, the first four talks, they're, they're, they're on the internet, you can go listen to them. Um, but they laid the foundation. And, and so this is kind of part two of the faith school that I'm going to start on this morning. And I'm going to start to talk about how do you pray for what you need and how do you pray for what you want? How do you pray to get results? And I put, that, I put a, a, like a little visual up on some of our social media uh, with the title of this, which is, it'll go up on the screen when, when the first set of slides go up, and it's called Praying for Results. And it was really interesting because quite a number of the responses I got were, is that okay? Is it okay to pray for results? Isn't that a bit like worldly? (laughs) To pray for results. Can't you just pray? What is the point of praying and not expecting results? That's a prayer without faith. You're not going to get an answer to a prayer that isn't looking and believing for a result. We have to pray for results. And it, and it strikes me, a lot of the time in, in the body of Christ, believers are just praying. Yeah. And, but we want results. And if we're not seeing results, 
then we need to go to God and go to the word of God and understand what needs to change so we see more results. Yeah. We don't just settle for the, the lack of results. Yeah. We, we go and, and we say, right, what is it? What's the next thing I need to learn? What's the next thing that you want to show me, Lord? And uh, as, I, as I do this series on unfolding on prayer, what I'm going to show you is some steps that are very specific so that you can get to the point where you pray in faith for something, a specific thing. And, and we all, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but do we all want answers to our prayers? Yes. We're not just like talking to the ceiling then. No. Or doing it because it's a good Christian thing. We all want answers to our prayers, don't we? Yeah. And, you know, for years, you know, as I was growing up in church and, and things, I, I used to pray. And I prayed for years in all sorts of different ways. The problem was I didn't get many answers. But he kept praying because, like, that's what Christians do. And it's kind of... And, and then we start beating us up. Oh, we need to pray more, don't we? Or, is your prayer life lacking? No, my prayer life is not lacking. It's just not getting the results. So my results are lacking. My prayer life's okay. I'm doing what I was told. I'm putting the time in. I'm putting the, the energy in. I'm putting the effort in. And my response when, I, when nothing was happening is that I would pray more. That's a good thing, isn't it? Praying more. Mm-hmm. Who thinks praying more is a good thing? Yeah. The, the correct answer is yes. <laughs> praying more is a good thing. And, and what I'd do is I'd schedule that, because I'm an accountant and I plan these things, I would schedule times in my diary <laughs> at which I would be with the Lord and pray. And, and, and I'd do that. And, and, and when that time arrived, I'd really go for it. Because I'd seen people really going for it. And, and in like the last, 20 years or so, I've seen the most amazing prayers. You know, sometimes I'm going like, oh my goodness, Joyce, how can you do that? And I'm going like, I want to be like Joyce. And then I'm thinking, nope, I want to be like June. Nope, nope, it's Joyce, it's June. No, it's Olive. Olive's really earnest. I want to be earnest and like put my everything into it like Olive. So I try, you try all these different things. How many of you found yourself praying the way somebody else prays and wanting to pray like them. And that's, that's kind of a good thing, because Paul said, imitate me, you know, but it's also not a good thing, because we learn lots of things that actually build a faulty understanding into what we're doing. Not because the original person had the wrong understanding, but because you've interpreted what they're doing, and you think, well, in order to get God to answer my prayers, I need to be like that person, or I need to pray like that, or I need to shout like that, or I need to sweat like T.D. Jakes, or something like that, <laughs> or I need a new suit to be able to pray properly. And, and, and we come up with all these ideas of what will make prayer work, don't we? And so I've had, I've had years of that, I've had decades of that, and, and then you, you go to conferences and and, and teachings, and you hear people say, if we only had more prayer, if we had more houses of prayer, more of this, more of that, more of that, then we would see God move in our nation. Well, where is he? I don't think we've ever had so many of prayer houses, prayer conferences, or whatever in the body of Christ as we see right now. Because we have to understand the same basic principles 
that make prayer work. And Jesus didn't have all these things. And when Jesus is talking about prayer, and when the apostles and disciples are talking about prayer, they didn't have all these things. But they had something which is much more important. They knew how to get God to answer the prayer. That's what really matters. You know, and I kind of started realising it wasn't all my asking and pleading and crying and whether I was lying face down on my prayer mat in my man cave or sitting on my, you know, on my knees or whatever position I, I adopted. It wasn't any of that. And so I want to just open with a few things, a couple of points that I've learnt over the years. And I don't want to upset anybody, but I want to simplify it for you all as to, so we can get to the crux of the matter so we can see more results. Because you just told me at the start of this, that's what we want to see. We want to see more results, don't we? Yeah. So we're paying for more results. So here's the first thing I've learned about prayer. Now, before I say it, actually, I just want to make something clear. What I'm talking about here... So we don't get confused. And if you weren't around last year when I talked about prayer uh, previously, you might not have heard this. But prayer, when, when, when the Bible talks about prayer, what it's really talking about is a conversation with God. It's just a relationship. So prayer is grounded in relationship. I don't want you to forget about that because when you get to uh, Ephesians, Paul talks about all kinds of prayer and supplication. So there's all types of prayer. And those prayer types of prayer have different purposes. And so I'm talking, in, if you want to get technical and, and you want to make your notes, so this is for Dennis. <laughs> By the way, we should just all take notes. You, should, you really should. Because otherwise you get to the coffee table and you forgot half of it. And so one of the things that we, we're talking about here is a specific Prayer for something, an end result yes. that, that we, we, we are looking for. And that, that the Bible's got a, a word for that. It's called the prayer of petition. Okay, so when you say petitions, that's, that's what he's talking about. He said, Father, I need an answer to this specific thing in accordance with what you've promised. Okay, that's the prayer petition. So that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. So, for instance, is it okay if I use you as a, a visual aid, Lynn? Okay, Lynn's not been very well the, the, the last few weeks. So I'm just going to pray for her. This is a prayer of petition. This is not me having a conversation with the Holy Spirit or, or God the Father in my private prayer room in relationship with him. This is a prayer of petition, okay? I'm going to pray for Lynn. So I thank you, Father. I thank you that you sent your son and he died and bore all our sicknesses yeah. so that we don't have to carry it. So right now, despite what the doctors say, there is an end right here, right now, to long COVID. Yeah. I rebuke that, those words. I rebuke that virus in the name of Jesus. Yeah. I tell you to have no further effect in Lynn's body. Amen. And I proclaim freedom, life, be made whole, be well in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank Amen. you, Father. Amen. 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 Yes. 
That's the sort of prayer I'm talking about, when you need something from God. And what I'm going to talk about is how you get to the place where you actually expect the answer. Pray for results and expect results. Does that make sense? Mm. Right, okay, so the first thing, the first and most important thing to learn and get clear on is that, how can I put this tactfully? It is not the quantity of prayer or length of prayer that gets answers. It's the faith that is attached to the prayer that produces the answer. Okay, it's really important you, you, we understand this. Because we could, we could talk for England, and, and, it, and Bob can talk for Scotland, but we all know Bob can talk for Scotland. But we could talk for England, and we won't see an answer as a result of our talking. We see an answer as a result of our faith in the promises that God has given us. So it's not quantity or volume or style or whatever. So I don't have to pray like Joyce or Jude or Olive. I can pray like me. Do you want to know how Jesus prayed? This is Jesus using all these words. Be made whole. That's it. What's the difference? Jesus had faith. He had perfect faith. So it's not the, the, the... the, the quantity of prayer, length of prayer that gets answered, it's not the number of words used, it's not even the emotion that we put in. You know, some of us like wind ourselves up to pray. <laughs> and it's not the, the amount of pleading that gets the answers. It's none of that, it's faith. Because we receive the grace that God has provided through faith. Yeah. Now, you do have to speak it out. Yeah. Silent prayer will not get an answer. Because we believe with our hearts and we confess with our mouths. So belief needs to be given a vehicle which carries our faith, which is what our mouths say. Are you, still, are you with me? This is some basic principles. So here's the next lesson I learned. So lesson number two. To be effective, prayer needs to be grounded in covenant. The covenant I have with God. The covenant is about receiving the benefits of Christ's sacrifice and redemption, not about earning the benefit from God. So prayer is about me receiving the benefits of what Jesus has already provided in the new covenant. I'm, I'm not trying to make it happen. I'm a receiver... And the dispenser, I'm not a maker happener. Jesus has already paid for this stuff. I want to know how to access it. And I don't access it on my merit. I access it on his merit. Because if I tried to access it on my merit, I would never be good enough to access anything. It's not, you see, prayer doesn't work on a sliding scale of. The, the nicer you are and the better you are and the more holy you are, you get a 60% answer if you're 60% holy. You're either holy or not holy. You either get 100 or 0 on that basis. So prayer is dependent on what Jesus has done, not what I've done to get to earn it. So, but it is dependent on me knowing how to 
Um, receive it with faith. Okay, do you understand that? And I can only receive what I have a covenant to receive. I can't receive stuff that I don't have a covenant to receive. So if the, the, the flip side of that is if I can see it in God's word and he says I can have it, I can have it. Because he's a covenant-making God who will not lie, will not break his promises. So if I can see a promise in God's word, I can have it. Because it's already paid for. It's mine. So I can, I can, I can have that. So that, they're the two basic things. So, I've got a question for you all. When it comes to prayer, this is my question. Are you effective? Are you effective? I don't mean do you do it, I mean are you effective? And it, and it might seem like an odd question. But it's actually a very biblical question. It's a very apostles sort of question. Am I effective in what I'm doing? Because I don't want to spend... Hours and decades being ineffective. So I have to ask myself the question, am I being effective? And there's little point in prayer that doesn't get results. The sort of prayer I'm talking about. It's a little point in it if it doesn't get results. So when we, when, if we go, well, actually I'm not being as effective as I, I need to be or I want to be, then the response to that is go to the word and go to God and let him lead you through to become more effective. Why do I think it's important to be effective? Because James, who was Jesus' brother, said it was. James uh, grew up knowing Jesus. He was his physical half-brother. And he, he grew up in the family. In fact, James tried to, he went along with his, his mum and his brothers and tried to stop Jesus and bring him home and said, look, that's enough, lad, you've upset everybody. Just come home to your mum. And, and James didn't get Jesus until Jesus had been resurrected. And then James got Jesus. And after a few years, he became head of the church in Jerusalem. And after that, he went and he, he became the, the apostle who went to Portugal and Spain and established the church in those areas. And uh, so James knew a few things about what gets results. And this is what James said, very famous verse. And I'm going to give you this verse, how I learnt it, and how I suggest most of us have learnt it. And this is what it says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much or accomplishes much. Yeah, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man Availeth much or accomplishes much. Availeth is the old King James, accomplishes is the new King James. There's a difference. Same word. So if I'm a proper, as a proper pastor, we'll go for availeth. Availethly. Now, who wants to availeth much when they pray? I want to availeth much when I pray, don't I? So I need to pay attention to that. What is it that availeth much? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. So, here's what happens. 
there's a word there that says fervent. And so, so we get that word and we, we compute it through our brain because we want to avail as much. And we go, I need to be fervent. And so, I need to shout, I need to jump, I need to sweat, I need to like, really be passionate about all this praising. I need to really, really be fervent if I'm going to get answers. And, and I need to whip everybody else up to be fervent because we need to be, all be fervent because the effective fervent prayers of a room full of believers must avail us a much, much, much. <laughs> and so we try to be fervent. And that's where a lot of our prayer practices have come from, from that one word. From that word fervent. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that praying a lot and praying regularly is a good thing. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. And I'm also pretty sure that being passionate about something is a whole lot better than not giving a monkeys. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure on those two things. But then this is my question. Well, it's a question that people ask me, you know, when I've, I've kind of stuck my head above the parapet on this one before. And they say, Mark, are you not passionate about prayer? Absolutely not. I'm not passionate about prayer. I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm not interested in doing things for doing things sake. And, and, and appearing to do all the good Christian things. I'm not interested. I'm done with that. I kind of got done with that in my 20s and 30s. I'm not going back there. I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about seeing lives changed. I'm passionate about seeing bodies healed. I'm passionate about seeing people's finances turned up. I'm passionate about seeing the devil kicked out of people's lives. I'm passionate about seeing results. But most of all, I am passionate about my saviour. And I want to pray for him. I want to talk to him. I want to be a representative of him and a carrier of his kingdom on earth. And if that's prayer, then I'm passionate about it. But I'm not passionate about doing things for doing things' sake. I'm not clocking hours up. You see, it's about relationship first. And that relationship births the mission that prayer carries out. It's about relationship first, which births the mission that prayer carries out. So, back to that word fervent, okay? Fervent. It's not in there in the original language. There is no word that is translated fervent in what James wrote. Let me explain that because you're going, oh, Mark. (laughs) You're criticising my Bible. No, I'm not criticising your Bible. And criticising, what I'm saying is the use of language changes over time. And what was... What they were trying to convey by the word fervent then is not what we think of as fervent now. You would never get what we think of as fervent now 
form the original language. But they did because they thought differently and language is differently then. And, and the problem is by putting the way we think of fervent, it introduces all sorts of things that we do that detract from the fact that it's the amount of faith that's the issue about whether we get results or not. Let me read you some different translations and you'll start to see. Because at the moment you go, like, I don't know if I can trust Mark on this one. Okay, I'll just show you. The, these are, are, are the more literal translations of you know, that end of the spectrum. But here's what the NASB says, New American Standard Bible. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That's a little translation of the words that are there. The NIV says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Where's that word powerful come from? The New Living Translation says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I like that, produces wonderful results. That's availeth much for simple people like me. Produces wonderful results. I, I want producing wonderful results. The English Standard Version, like the, the one that only like really wordy, techie theologians use these days, is the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Yeah. So effective, that, that where we get this, effective word and the fervent word, because the two, it's a translation of a single word. And it, and it means, and I can't pronounce it, so I'll put it up on the screen. It's enegumene, or something like that. And it means to be operative, to put forth power, to effect something. So what we're really talking about, when we talk about effective fervent prayer in the old language, is the sort of prayer that puts forth power and has effect. They were trying to, to get across to us, it's effective, powerful stuff, this. It's the prayer that is fervent, and the fervent is the effective, powerful stuff that has effect. It's not our fervency. It's the putting forth of power by a righteous man that availeth much, that sees results, that gets the answers. Are you, are you, are you there? Yeah. So we're not talking about excitement or noise or loudness or length or volume or number of times we have a prayer meeting. We're talking about a release of power that is effective in achieving what you need to, to achieve in order to bring about the kingdom of God where you are. So what would that sort of prayer look like? It would look like a faith-filled enforcing of God's will through your words and faith. A faith-filled enforcing of God's will right where you are. It will look like a resisting and overcoming of the plans and mind games of the enemy. 
it's full of praise and consciousness of the greatness and goodness of God. And his ability to do what he says, which is the impossible. That's what that's our prayer looks like. So that's what we want our prayer to look like. Because that's effective. That availeth much, produces much power, produces much working. So it's a prayer which brings to birth in our words that which God has conceived in our hearts. So it's words and belief. Something that's been conceived in faith in our heart. And when that which is in our heart is released in our words, it puts forth power to change that which is around us. That's the sort of prayer the disciples were talking about when they talk about prayers of petition. It's when that which is in our heart, that which we believe, is released through our mouth, it puts forth power to change things. So when you see a little slogan on Facebook and own up, well, you don't have to own up, that would be a bit embarrassing, but how many of you have actually copied this and cut and pasted it over the years? Prayer changes things. No. Effective prayer, which is conceived in faith in your heart and put out of your mouth, changes things. Prayer doesn't change things unless it's the type of prayer that, that, that takes access to what Jesus has done. And, and I don't mean to knock things, but sometimes we just accept stuff and we think, oh, great. But, like, honestly, I don't know who thought of this one, but try praying. I don't, I don't know if you've seen that, that. Lots of churches have put that out. They put it out in the middle of lockdown. Try praying. Well, thanks, church. <laughs> Great. Howdy, ha, ha, to you too. <laughs> try praying. I don't want to try praying. I need prayer that gets results. When I'm sick, I don't want to try praying. I want to know how to pray so that I'm going to get well. You know, right now, I've been fighting all week, like, something that's, like, I've, I've not been able to speak sentences without coughing and spluttering and, and all sorts of things. I've been really ill this week, but I've been praying that by today, I'm going to be well enough to deliver this sermon. Because it's important. So I don't want to be trying praying. I want to be speaking in faith that which God has conceived in my heart. And he said, Jesus died for my healing. By his stripes I am healed. I am the Lord that healeth thee. So right now, so I take hold of that. I don't try it. I believe it. And I speak it. And I arrive here today to do this. Because we are overcomers of the plans of the enemy and overcomers of the world. So to do that, we have to be effective. So, effective, fervent prayer isn't keep your noise on. It isn't keep your mouth moving. It isn't let's have multiple locations with as many people as we can entice to turn up to the meetings. That's not effective, fervent prayer. Effective, fervent prayer, or prayer that puts forth 
fourth power is K-Y-F-O. Keep your faith on. You see, in many instances, we're not, depending on what we're asking for, some stuff we should see instantly. Jesus generally didn't have to wait around for healing. Sometimes we don't uh, realise we've been healed until later. But Jesus often did. He didn't have to wait around for healing. But some stuff you do have to wait around for. You know, turn my life around, God. God, I need to get out of debt. I've got debts that's as big as my income. I need to get out of it. And so you need to keep your faith on, not dig it up because it hasn't happened straight away. Because God made a promise and he's not breaking his promise. The only thing that is stopped, if you, if you prayed and you've spoken in faith, the only thing that's stopping that promise is if you dig it up again. Having planted it in your heart. And here's how you dig it up. You start talking all the stuff that's not the promise. You start talking about all the things that the world says and all the things that the doctor says and all the things that the bank says and all the things that the news says and all the things that the mortgage company says. And if I have to have one more conversation about interest rates when I'm trying to sell my house, what's interest rates got to do with me selling my house? It's a God thing. If he wants us to, to, to trade down, it's his problem. He's not short of money. He's not short of getting money to the people who might like to buy our house. Interest rates, irrelevant. We, we've got to start believing God for what he says, yes. not for what the world says. And, and, and trouble is, we, we've got so into what the world says that we dig up all this stuff before we ever see it. So, back to my question. Are you effective? Because there's more in that sentence than just effective for a pair. So are you effective? Effective prayer life goes face to face with God. So, when you're praying for something, you can't do it in isolation from your relationship with God. Because effective prayer is grounded in relationship, not in servitude. Effective prayer is rooted and grounded in the love of God and your love for him. It's knowing that he loves you. It's knowing that he wants to get good stuff to you. It's knowing that he wants to bless you. Effective prayer is transparent. It's real. It's face to face with God. And that's where the second part of the sentence comes in. The righteous man. Just in case you were wondering where that came into it. Because it's effective for a righteous man, isn't it? No. An unbeliever can believe what they like, want what they like, think what they like, and be completely 100% sold out earnest about it, and it's going to have no effect whatsoever. Because this isn't available to unbelievers. This is only available to believers. God doesn't put forth his power for somebody that doesn't believe in him and doesn't follow him and doesn't love him. 
And the problem is, our little religious peanut brains and our, our, our churchy world thing has translated that, I am not righteous, therefore God's not going to answer my prayer until I am righteous. Well, that would take us from some prayers being answered to zero prayers ever being answered. Because I'm really hoping it's not me, but how many of us are 100% righteous? Put your hand up now. Right, you should put your hand up. Because there's the problem. We, we, we think that we disqualify ourselves from an answer to prayer. It's true, we all do stupid stuff. We all mess up, we all do wrong things, we all get it wrong, and we all fall short of the glory of God. And if it was true that that stopped God answering prayers, then that would have been a real problem for Moses, the murderer. It would have been a real problem for Elijah, hiding himself in a cave, depressed, hiding from God. It'd have been a big, big problem for David, wouldn't it? Daniel wasn't that hot either. And yet, all, they all got their prayers answered. And that was under the old covenant. We have a better covenant. We have a new covenant with God when G- where Jesus has paid the penalty for all our shortfall. Amen. All our falling short. So righteousness isn't about a temporary set of fulfilment of rules and, and, and behaving good for a while so you can get your prayer answered. And we really need to understand this. Righteousness is massively important in our lives. But righteousness is a condition. Let me define righteousness for you. It's the condition of being in right relationship with God. It's us that translate that in our heads to all these little, you know, all all that religious stuff. It's the condition of being in right relationship with God. And there's nothing you can do to obtain that right relationship. The only way you get right relationship with God is through faith in what Jesus has done for you. So the righteous man is the man who has put faith in what Jesus has done for him, recognising that he's not perfectly righteous, but when he puts his faith in Jesus and what Jesus has done for him, he gets new birth, he gets the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit breaks the power of sin in our life so we can become increasingly free from sin. And that we can live increasingly holy. But we are always in right standing. As long as we have our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. So you're the righteous man this is talking about. 
Not because your righteousness, it's his righteousness, his right standing, given to you and attributed to you. And then, just to kind of clear it all up, because I, I get this and when I talk about this. Well, Mark, it feels like when I mess up, it really affects my relationship with God. Well, tell me about it. <laughs> when I mess up, it really feels like it affects my relationship with God. Yeah. Actually, don't tell me about it. Mm. Tell God about it. Because the enemy at that point wants you to distance yourself from God. And you want yourself to distance yourself from God. Either because you feel shame or embarrassment. Or you just want to carry on doing what you're doing. Or you want to hide it a bit. Yeah, good idea, hiding from God. Yeah, all those sort of things. And so you distance yourself. And you think it's not going well. And you go from a few months and a few months and you think, Oh God, I feel really cold in my relationship with God. Had God got anything to do with that at all? That's all you. You distanced. You didn't go, God, I want to be open with you. I need this sorting in my life. Just, just sort me out, God. I yield all that stuff up to you. You go face to face with God. Because of what Jesus has done, you have access to do that. And if you're honest with God, he can cleanse it and sort it out. Yeah. You know, that's why uh, the Apostle John told us to confess. Yeah. And, you know, not say that we haven't done wrong stuff, but to confess it. And it said the result of that is that God can then cleanse you. He can sort it out. He can heal you. He can put your heart back together. He can get rid of all the stuff that's in there. But as long as you make excuses, he can't. The only healing that can come is when we're honest with God. I sinned. I did it wrong. Then he can heal the hurts. You can't heal hurts that we make excuses for in our own behaviour. It's really important that. But that's a process that's taking place within us as we have right standing with God. So it's not something that stops our prayers being effective as long as we face to face with God instead of hiding from God or withdrawing from God. So the advice is, is pursue relationship and your prayers will be increasingly effective as you receive his righteousness in you. So if we want to be effective believers whose prayers availeth much, we pursue relationship and let God build our faith. So how do we know what, what God wants and how do we see all that and how do we pursue relationship with God? Well, this tells us all about what God wants to get to us. He never changes in what he wants to get to us. This tells us all about how he wants to know us and us to know him and have relationship with him. And he tells us to do two things. 
Abide in his word, know his word, live from his word, follow his word, do what his word says. That's what we're trying to do here. It's only one sentence, but we need to do it. Do what his word says, live from that place, dwell in that place, make that your centre, make that your decision-making point, make that the principle on which you live your life. You know, just as a simple level, when when people who, who don't understand these things get into a bit of a financial mess, they stop giving. And they think, well... You know, I can't afford to give because the interest rates have gone up or, or whatever's gone in their life. Or I've I, I had too many takeaways and I've run up a big credit card debt and all these sort of things. Oh, I need a new car so I won't give for a few months. Okay. The maximum benefit you can ever get from that is the amount you didn't give. The maximum benefit you can get... get by believing God to do what he says he's got, he's a hundredfold. If you're really unlucky, you're a bit dodgy in your faith, you're going to get 30 or 60, but let's go for the maximum these days, eh? You see, I haven't seen many hundredfolds in my life, but I'm expecting to see more because that's what Jesus said. Yes. We need to up our game. Mm-hmm. You see, we can do things naturally, or we can do things with faith. Okay, I'm going to wrap up now. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. As a born-again believer, you have a new spirit, you're a new creation, and you have his right standing. So your relationship with God is in right standing. You need to keep strong in that relationship. And you do that through his word and time with the Holy Spirit. Now... We want prayer that catches us. And I'm just going to say this one to kind of lead into where I'm at starting next week. You remember my first point? Let me just read my first point to you together. uh, I think it's the first slide. It's not the quantity of prayer, length of prayer that gets answered. It's the faith attached to the prayer. Sometimes, well, pretty often, I think, these days, we allow our faith to be limited by what the world says is appropriate. And we import the world's way of dealing with things and the world's rules into our belief system and into the church. So let me... Just to explain that to you in something that's not particularly, not, not too emotive. There's obviously more emotive cases than this. Right. So, several years ago, well, about the time we were starting the church, we kind of looked at this question. And, and to, to make it real to you, it's something that God has to keep reminding me about. Because there have been periods where we've just got completely our eyes off this. And when I tell you what it is, you'll go, we've got completely our eyes off it again. We need to go back. Okay? 
Here's what happens, because we're a registered charity, yeah, and, and it's a registered charity that allows us to be blessed by gifting or giving. That's the, that's the benefit of being a registered charity. You wouldn't be one if, you didn't, if it wasn't for that, because all the rest of the stuff's all of us and, and whatever. So, as a registered charity, because we have responsible trustees, like proper men and women of integrity, we have to do an annual budget. And so we, we do a budget, and it basically looks at, this was our, the, our income received last year, this is what we spent it on, uh, this is who we know has joined, and this is who we know has left. So we've had six people leave and ten people join, so let's increase it by a little bit, because we've got more than we had. <laughs> And let's work out what happens if giving goes up 5%. And then let's work out what happens if giving goes down 5% because we don't want to run out of money. And we do that and we look at all the things we spend on and, and, and we do certain things. And so we present the budget to the trustees and they go, yep, I can sign that off. Or, ooh, let's have a look at that. Do we? Do we need to invest in, in that much in equipment this year because we had a special item last year? You know, like really proper trustee questions. And so, I should, I should learn this, but it, it's like you just so forget because you have to do that to meet the legal requirements of the world. Absolutely nothing to do with God. And so, I take the budget to God and I'm, and I'm praying and I said, there's the budget, God, we need this much income to come in. Please, God, could we up it 5%? <laughs> and then, then we could do a bit more. And so, I had this picture and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a recent picture because... None of what I've just described has anything to do with faith. Do you really think it's a great faith target to expect giving to go up 5% when inflation's 10? It's not a good faith target. <laughs> and so I, I, I have this picture and, and I take the budget to God and I give him it and I say, I give you this budget in faith. And Paul signed off on it. Roger's happy with it. Cheryl's happy with it. I'm okay with it because I did it. <laughs> Please, God, touch the people's hearts. And God looks at this budget. And he gives me back. He says, you don't need me. I haven't got any job to do at all with that. You're not believing for anything you can't do. I'm not involved in the budget. I'm not involved in any of this. There's nothing for me to do. I can't answer that sort of prayer. I can't answer a prayer where there's nothing for me to do. Why do we get ourselves thinking like that? Why do we get ourselves? Because that's what the world says you have to do to be a poker charity. And yes, of course we want to do that. 
But is that the limit of what you want to see God do through us? No. That in five years' time, we might have enough money to have a couple of more employees. Is that the limit of our ambitions and our faith? Because if it is, God can't answer that because he hasn't got anything to do. He hasn't got a job. You see, we we need to believe bigger things. And there's areas of your life right now where you have accepted that the world says that's all that can happen. Well, God hasn't got a job to do. What, what are we believing in for that we can't do? What is so outrageous that, that, that you couldn't possibly do it? What if we all believed God and we put our faith out there and said, by the end of next year, God, we're going to have a hundred new Christians in this place. Is that big enough? By the end of next year, God, I want to believe you that we're not just reaching 150 people in the church, but we're reaching 5,000 people. Now give us the vision to do that. Not in the church necessarily, but give us the vision to do it. But God, you're going to have to do that. Because right now, there's me and Jules. And she's on holiday. (laughs) So God, you're going to have to do that. So how's he going to do it? Not my job. But my faith. We've all got small thinking. And it's the world that's got us that small thinking. And we're going, why don't I see results? Well, what are we believing for? Stuff that we can do anyway. Stuff that doctors can fix. Or are we believing for the things that God can do? Let's start giving God some work to do. Some jobs that he actually likes. Because he wants to get this stuff to us. Do you see the point I'm making? You know, we can't determine what next year is going to look for us like for us by what happened last year. But most of us do. And that's why stuff that that we, you know, all exciting stuff we miss out on. We need to believe. Let's stand. Here's something I want you to do. We'll finish with this. piece of paper what you believe and want God to do through this body this body of believers here that's the first thing so there's three things second thing your part in that 
And the third thing, I want you to write down one other area where if you've listened to the world and that's become your vision right now. That's the limitation on what God's doing in your life. It might be a doctor's report. It might be a bank statement. It might be a lawyer's thing. It might be a police thing. It might be a saw it on television thing. And you're going, well, that's what I'm believing. You believe in bad news. There's no bad news in the good news. The enemy's done a job on you. He's limited. I'm putting forth the power for the kingdom by believing him for the stuff that he can do that's impossible to us. What are you going to believe God for that is impossible right now for you to do? Because that's the only time God's getting involved. When you believe God for something that's impossible for you to do right now. So what's impossible for you, and that's your faith goal. That's the faith target. That's what we're going to look at for the next two or three weeks. As to how to pray for that thing. So, what's the thing we're going to believe God for for the church? What are you going to do about it? What's your part? And what is it in your life where you've listened to the report of the world and the ways of the world to limit what you think? And you've taken God's job away. Does that, does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for holy blessings. I thank you that you are stirring faith. I thank you that you are stirring victory. I thank you that right now there is, there's a stirring, a fire of overcomers that are starting to be mobilised. I thank you, Lord, that you are, you are challenging us, that you are pushing us forward. Lord, we want to be those who see results, who know how to pray to get results. We don't want to leave stuff on the table for the enemy. We don't want to leave no. stuff on the table for the world. No. We want to see the fullness of what you have for us. And Lord, you have what goes beyond what we can do. The, the, the things that we cannot do, and we trust you, and we look to you and say, what is it, Lord? What is it you have promised us? What is it in your word that is impossible for me to see right now? And that's what I'm going to believe for. Yeah. That's what I'm going to pray for. In Jesus' name. Yes. Amen. 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 Do you know what I know? The number of people have told us it's impossible to sell our house at the moment. <coughs> Nothing's impossible for God. No. no. Nothing's impossible for God. Exactly. If He's promised it. Nothing's impossible. The things that are impossible for God is when we don't give him a job to do or we ask for something he's not promised. Amen. Write your three things down. Have your coffee. Have a great week. And come back next week expecting victory, expecting faith. Amen. Amen.